All right, everyone. It is getting late here on the East Coast. Wednesday night, October 20th, 9.59 p.m. We got Syracuse. Oranges are in the forecast. Uh, Bring your Tropicana. Bring your straws. Bring your, uh, you know, anything else that is orange um, or, you know, anything that can crush orange, I should say. But uh, welcome back to the Sons of Saturday podcast. Uh, My name is Pat Finn. I'm out of Charlotte, North Carolina here on this Wednesday evening, and I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Michael McDaniel of the Sons of Saturday National Podcast and of the Hokie Hangover. And uh, Mike, where are you? Are you in Frederick- Fredericksburg? Where are you at right I now? am. I am. Fredericksburg, Virginia. And you mentioned the Bring Your Tropicana. I am drinking an orange vanilla stout as we record tonight just for this occasion, Pat. <laughs> So that is that is called dedication to the cause. That's right. Syra- Syracuse, as the Northerners say, Syracuse coming into Lane Stadium for the first time since 2003. Wow. Okay. Uh, but before we get into that, got to break it down here with some poetry. Yes. We thank all of you for submitting poetry. Our Hokie Haikus are brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy. Listen. If you're a Hokie fan and you're coming into Blacksburg for the weekend, you got to stop in and you got to say hello to Dr. Lord King Jeremy Counts, the king of Blacksburg uh, and the best pharmacist in all of Virginia. Uh, He will treat you and your friends, all of you guys, like a neighbor, not a number. The Blacksburg uh, community loves Jeremy because he cares about the Blacksburg community and there is not a better pharmacy in all of Southwest Virginia. So head on down to the Main Street Pharmacy, pick up some Sons of Saturday swag there as well. Jeremy's got it all stocked up. So the first Hokie Haiku is submitted by Bijan Peters. He says, why do I fear we'll lose to a team named after fruit, Justin Fuente? Beautiful. Well done. (laughs) Thank you, Bij. Tyler, Dick, Tyler Dixon, game day in Blacksburg, ready to get hurt again. At least we have beer. Imagine playing poorly at home and not having beer. We've dealt with that in the past. This is a, uh, a new age of hockey football where we can it still is. hang out and have fun in the stadium. Turning a new leaf. Yes. And then Travis Dye says, we don't have scurvy. Send the orange back to New York. That was eight syllables. Please don't let us lose. I actually had to look up what scurvy was. Uh, scurvy is a vitamin vitamin C deficiency. Um, so, you know, flu season's coming up. Cold season's coming up. Emergency, uh, orange juice, all that good stuff. Protect your immune system. Drink orange juice. Um, so, Start things off here before we uh, before we get into the matchup and the storylines with some hokey history. If you are familiar with the Virginia Tech and Syracuse rivalry, yes, because it is an old Big East rivalry. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, this is not necessarily the uh, the most favorable matchup for Virginia Tech if you look at the history books. Eight wins to ten losses. And a lot of that was because we we would struggle in the Carrier Dome. We are two and eight on the road against the Syracuse Orange, and uh, one of those eight losses was actually as recently as 2016. 
you guys remember that uh, matchup, Virginia Tech was hot uh, in 2016, went up to the Carrier Dome and lost to Eric Dungy, the human torpedo. I mean, that guy yes. flying, flying around the field, uh, lost 31 to 17. That was actually the only game I, I missed that year. I went to every every single game in 2016, my senior year, and that was the only game that I did not make the uh, the adventure to. And I'm very glad that I did not attend that game. I saw Eric Dungy twice that year. I saw him in that game, and then I saw him against Notre Dame at MetLife Stadium against the four, the future four and eight Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It was like first one to fifty in that game. It was a nooner. I remember that Syracuse, Syracuse and Notre Dame did that at Yankee Stadium. Oh, just, okay, MetLife Stadium. That's right. And then Notre Dame yeah. did MetLife game. They've done it. They've done it at uh, Yankee Stadium too, though. In the past. That's right. They did. Uh... Was it at Yankee Stadium in 2018? Was that Syracuse? I think that's correct. I believe that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, man, going back into history books here, uh, the, the most recent win for Virginia Tech was that 2003 matchup, 51-7. to And if you want to talk about some marquee matchups, there's two that really stand out, one of them being 1999. College game day in town, in Blacksburg, Michael Vick leading the charge, uh, Virginia Tech defeating Syracuse 62 to zero with college game day in town. That was a huge coming out party for Virginia tech uh, on college game day. And one of the, the more famous hokey game day uh, experiences, I I believe Miami also came to town that year and was on game day. Um, 1998 solemn times at the dome, Donovan McNabb throws the, uh, was it a touchdown or a two-point conversion pass uh, right after throwing up all over the field with five seconds left to beat Virginia Tech 28-26 in the Carrier Dome? Um, so, yeah, some hokey history there for you. Dino Babers is their head coach at Syracuse. Any other hokey history we're missing here, Mike, uh, before we kick it over to storylines? God, I don't think so. If, if there's any that we're missing uh, – since 1999, I was too young to know anyway. So Exactly. So we talk about storylines for the Syracuse Orange this year. When I looked at this schedule, I saw Syracuse coming to town in October, and I said, W, win column. I'm sure you were thinking the same thing. Mike, coming into the season, what were your thoughts on Syracuse? I had an under three and a half wins bet in on them. And they're now at three and four with five games to play. So that's not looking particularly good. So I was not high on Syracuse. I mean, how could you be after how they played a year ago? But I think we're learning pretty quickly that you kind of got to throw 2020 out in a lot of respects for a lot of college football programs. Yeah. So Syracuse comes in and was not supposed to be good this year. And looking at their body of work, three and four is not a good record. But this is actually a decent football team. Um, On paper, they are on a three-game losing streak. But when you break down these losses, they've actually lost these three games by a combined nine points, and two of them were overtime losses. So, And if you you count that Rutgers game, too, like back earlier in the year, like that's four games they've lost by 19 points total. We lost to Pittsburgh by more than 19 points. Just to yeah, yes, and confirm. <laughs> to put that in perspective, so you have two ball clubs going out there on Saturday that are just 
they're hurting both of us. Um, but yeah, yeah, they lost to Rutgers 17 to seven. They lost at Doke to Florida state 33 to 30 on a last minute field goal. Was that, was it overtime? Was it a field goal? It was a field goal. Uh, 33 to 30. It was a field goal, but that was in regulation. Okay. Yep. All right. So I lied. So only one of the games was in overtime, but uh, Wake Forest, they lose that one the next week in overtime. And then they lose this most recently to Clemson last Friday night in the, Oh, it was, it was, this was just frustrating. Everyone wants to see Clemson lose. I get it. You know, you want to see someone from your conference represent um and play well but listen if you're an ACC fan and you're not rooting against Clemson every single week um this year so well it wasn't a tie game Clemson was leading 17 to 14 and Syracuse is driving with you know 30 or so seconds left they come to a fourth and one and they put their kicker out there who is one of four from over 40 yards is that correct yep that's correct Yep. Fourth and one. Meanwhile, you have one of the best, if not the best running back in the country, Sean Tucker. Yeah, he's good. He's been churning, uh, churning yards all game long. Uh, you have one yard to get and they try to kick the field goal and, you know, right off of his foot, you knew uh, it was going wide left. So who knows what's going to happen on Saturday? Um, what do you think about the Syracuse team coming in? Uh, as far as from like a, a storyline perspective. Yeah. So obviously much better than anticipated, even though their record doesn't necessarily reflect that. Right. So they're three and four, like you mentioned, they're zero and three in ACC play, but they've lost their three ACC games. Like you said, by a combined nine points. So they have been very close in their last three games to, to getting over the hump and they've been playing good football. The biggest thing about Syracuse this year compared to the last couple years offensively is they found an identity. Now, it doesn't mean they're firing on all cylinders every week and, and they're really good, but they're giving their defense a break. You know, that's something that over the last couple of seasons they haven't been able to do because they haven't been able to keep the offense on the field. Uh, Tommy DeVito had played a bit, you know, when Eric Dungey was still at Syracuse and he would inevitably get banged up because they ran him a million times a game. We'll get into that here in a minute. But, uh, you know, DeVito looked like he was going to be the heir apparent. And for the last couple of seasons, it didn't really work out that way. So Syracuse goes and they get Garrett Schrader out of the transfer portal from Mississippi State. And he is a big physical quarterback who can run downhill and make things really difficult on opposing defenses. And He's not the most prolific passer in the world, but he was doing more and has been able to do more in the passing game than Tommy DeVito did, you know, in the last couple of seasons. So Syracuse now has a identity, right? A quarterback, a guy who is able to not only make plays with his legs, but do just enough through the air to keep defenses off balance. And I think that's really helped the running game with the running backs. Like Sean Tucker's been really good. You know, one of the, it's a stacked conference for, for running backs. You know, this conference has a bunch of really good ones, but I'd put Sean Tucker right at the top. And like you mentioned in that, in that Clemson game last Friday night, I'm sitting there thinking, man, Clemson hasn't really stopped Sean Tucker all night. Like Sean Tucker had 157 yards rushing in that game against Clemson and Clemson's defense is pretty good. Yes. They're banged up, but 
I was thinking, man, get, give Tucker an opportunity to to get a yard, and they didn't do that. And I, I think Dino Baber has kind of outsmarted himself there, and that's why Syracuse ended up losing that game. But this is a this is a good football team. They found identity running the football, and they're doing just enough in the passing game. And it's really helped the defense. So is Syracuse, you know, this you know really good football team? No, but are they improved? Yeah, definitely. And and they found an identity, which is something they've really been missing since Eric Dungey left. Garrett Schrader is the name of their quarterback, and he's not a great quarterback, but he is big as Mike just said. Um, I mean, the dude has gone for over 130 yards twice already this year in the wake forest game. He ran for 178 yards and in the Florida state game, he ran for 137 yards. Um, fun fact about this guy, which I just found out, Mike, you mentioned he was a Mississippi state transfer. Um, Mike Leach had this guy taking reps at wide receiver. Yeah. And, a quarterback. Yeah. And Garrett said, I, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go play quarterback. My, my, you know, the position. He pulled a Blumrick. He did. He pulled a little Connor Blumrick, actually. A little Connor Blumrick. Maybe they'll have a little uh, little conversation on the sideline uh, before the game. But also a Charlotte guy. Fun fact. But uh, 67 of 124 for 818 yards, five touchdowns, and three picks. As far as rushing goes, uh, he, he has ran for just about 400 yards on the year um, yeah. in, in five, in just five games. So this is a guy that we need to uh, contain and we need to wrap up. Talk to us about Sean Tucker though. Cause we know, we know he's kind of got a little bit of flair on social media too. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Uh, Sean Tucker is an interesting cat and I need to pull, I need to pull up his actual Twitter account, but it's been really funny because not only is he emerged on the field as a really good running back, but his Twitter game is absolutely hysterical. So let me read you a tweet because he's doing this on a, on a weekly basis after each one of his football games, right? He feels the, the urge to go on Twitter and not only say how he felt like the team performed, but how he performed individually. So this was a tweet from uh, October 17th, which I believe was, yes, Sunday. Okay, so this is a couple days after, you know, less than 48 hours after the, after the loss to Clemson on Friday night. So this is from at Sean Tucker 2020. Friday we lost, Syracuse 14, Clemson 17. I'm pleased with my performance, but not happy we lost another close one. I ran 22 attempts for 157 yards with two receptions for 20 yards with five games left. I'm just getting started. And there is the picture in the tweet of him taking off on one of his longer runs against Clemson in that game on Friday night. So it's becoming kind of this bit on, on social media where he says, Hey, we might've lost, but I played really well. I'm just getting started, but uh, it's, it's pretty funny. I encourage you guys to, even if you don't want to follow him on Twitter, at least go check out his Twitter account after games. Um, usually, usually tweets out a day after, you know, how he, how he performed and, and how that went. Just an honest man, a man of the people, you know, he's holding himself accountable. He'll, he'll have a great game and post his stats and said, you know, I'm satisfied with how I'm playing, but I'm, but I wish I could have helped the team more, you know, after a loss. Love to see that accountability. Um, I do. Uh, right there, right there in front of all your followers. I love it. 
He needs more followers. I think he only had like 3,500 when I checked. And I was like, yeah, I can tell you 4429 <laughs> is the official count as of this recording. And like, I think I saw him like week two or week three and like didn't really think of it. I was like, oh, that, that's kind of weird that someone would do that. Um, you know, interesting ego going on with this guy. But now that he does it every week and also how he performs so well, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like everyone's rooting for this guy. It's great. Yeah. Most, yeah. He's hard to root against for sure. Most honest man. In America, um, measurables, uh, measurables, is that the word I want to look for? Some numbers for you guys, uh, for statistics where Syracuse stacks up uh, nationally 63rd overall offense, they average 5.9 yards per play, 404 yards per contest. But this rushing attack is the 13th ranked rushing attack in the country. Um, they are averaging over 231 rushing yards per game on the ground and are averaging 5.46 yards per carry. So definitely a threat in the running game, as we have discussed with both Sean Tucker and Garrett Schrader, their quarterback. Their passing attack is actually worse than ours. Um, if, if you can believe that, they are throwing the ball for 172 yards per game, uh, 99 total completions and on 176 attempts for 1,206 yards. But we don't have a rushing attack that Syracuse has. So um, definitely not a balanced attack from the Syracuse offense, but definitely got to watch out for their rushing attack on Saturday. We want to flip over to the defense, Mike. They have a top 20 defense uh, in yards per game, only allowing 308 yards per game. 114 of those on the ground and 194 in the air. But talk to us a little bit more about, you know, the story of their defense this year and who are some characters to watch out for on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so the the defense has been solid. You know, like like I mentioned, I, I think a big reason why Syracuse's defense had been so up and down the last few years is because they really couldn't play complimentary football. But now you have what I like to call a, a poor man's Eric Dungy offense, you know, with Schrader who can't necessarily throw like Dungy did, but his running ability and Tucker's running ability, you know, they're able to keep the offense on the field, give the defense a rest. I think that's really helped Syracuse's defense develop. Certainly they haven't played the most prolific offenses in the world when looking at their schedule, but you have to give them credit where credit's due. They've been much better this year, and you have to think that a big reason why is because the offense has been able to stay on the field and give them a bit more of a rest. Uh, their linebacking group is really good. Uh, Michael Jones, Stephon Thompson, and Marlo Wax, they combine for like 140 tackles, something like that. Michael Jones leads the team in tackles with 64 already. Uh, he is a really prolific player in the middle of the defense for Syracuse. Um, and their linebacking core, in my opinion, is the strength of their team. Um, you know, frequently when you watch Syracuse play over the last few years, it's like, all right, if I'm watching him play defense, the only guy I'm paying attention to on the field is Andre Cisco, the safety, right? But he's moved on to the NFL. And I think this defense and the stats back this up, obviously, I think this defense is much more balanced and it's a much better, it's a much better unit on all three levels. So they've been really good getting after the passer as well. Cody Roscoe has six and a half sacks that leads the team. He's been really impressive. He's having an all ACC type season um, on the defensive line. He's got 32 tackles. That's tied for third on the defense. For Syracuse. So 
he's making plays against the run and against the pass, and he is their best pass rusher. So for all the issues that Virginia Tech has had, shuffling guys on the offensive line, no matter who is blocking Cody Roscoe, make sure to keep him away from Burmeister. Like he's we're having enough trouble completing forward passes this year, right? Like we got to keep Burmeister upright in this game. And Cody Roscoe has been wreaking havoc um, on opposing offenses and opposing offensive lines. So it's a pretty talented defense, Pat, but I think the linebacking core specifically is, is the group to watch in this game. So flipping over to special teams, we alluded to the special teams blunders against Syracuse last week. Um, Their kicker is not very good from anything over 40 yards, but from a sons of specialists perspective here, Mike, what do we got uh, on the special teams dossier uh, up in Northern, not Northern upstate New York. Andre Smite is their kicker. And like you mentioned, you know, he missed that field goal against Clemson and he hasn't been quite as good this year. So he's 24, 25 on extra points, always good but seven of 11 on field goal attempts. And he's one of four from outside of 40 yards um, or I'm sorry, between 40 and 49 yards. He's one for four. He's 0 for one outside of 50 yards. Uh, So it's been a bit up and down once you get beyond the 40 yard mark for smite. Uh, But he is a good kicker. I mean, he's been at, he's been at Syracuse a while. Um, He's a guy who has been with the program now for three years. He's been kicking since he's a freshman. And he's got talent. He's got an NFL leg in terms of in terms of strength, but the accuracy has been waning a bit this year. Um, their kick return and punt return game relies right now on a true freshman named Trebor Pena. Uh, he had a big play in that Clemson game. I think it was like 69 or 70-yard touchdown catch. Um, so he's kind of just getting immersed in the in the offense for Syracuse at the wide receiver position. Um, but he's been their their kick return and punt return threat all year. He's got electric speed, as you'd expect. You don't see the field as a true freshman at wide receiver unless you have that elite speed. So they're trying to find ways to get him more involved offensively. But uh, for now, he is he's emerged as a kick returner and punt returner in his first year at Syracuse. So we'll flip it on over to keys to the game. And this is going to be an interesting contest here on Saturday. Uh, But Mike, for me, keys to the game for Virginia Tech really need to show up and and have any type of pulse on offense. I think that goes without saying, um, you know, whether that be finding some type of rhythm in the run game, need some more consistent um, and, and improved line play as well. But as far as the defensive side of the ball, shutting down Sean Tucker and shutting down Garrett Schrader. I mean, goes without saying, got to shut down these guys from Syracuse. Front seven are going to need to have a good day. Um, And we're going to need to consistently uh, wrap up, as Grayson would say. You know, Dean Ferguson is out. So there's limited depth in the linebacker room now. Um, And then also, Third down defense. I think uh, third down defense is going to be imperative here on Saturday. Virginia Tech is actually ranked number 13 in the country for third down defense right now. Um, Sean Tucker is going to be running the ball on first down. He's going to be running the ball on second down. But third down, if we can hold him on third down, then we're going to get the ball back. 
but um, those are kind of my keys here. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they they got to stop Sean Tucker, got to stop Garrett Schrader. Like, you got to stop the, the Syracuse rushing attack. Syracuse's running game between Schrader and Sean Tucker, I think they account for something like 72 or 73% of Syracuse's offensive output, like comes from those two guys. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know, right? It's really a a two-man offense at this point for Syracuse, but it's been effective, effective enough in the running game and the offense line keeps improving week over week. I worry about Virginia Tech up front in this football game, obviously concerned a bit with the depth at linebacker as well. But the defensive line has been so up and down this year. You know, some games it's it's really easy to point to them and say, you know what, they're, they're really starting to turn a corner. Or they're really doing what a lot of people expected, but it just hasn't been consistent week over week. I mean, we saw a Pittsburgh running attack last week kind of go up and down the field, especially in the second half. That's a problem because Pittsburgh's rushing attack isn't very good. Well, Syracuse's is. So, like, they... You know, Tech's defensive line really needs to be ready up front in this football game. Like that, that's a that's a concern for me. Uh, as far as Virginia Tech's offense is concerned, like that's that's the bigger deal because I think Virginia Tech's defense. I think Justin Hamilton will have the guys prepared to slow down the Syracuse rushing attack. Nothing they do is earth shattering or groundbreaking in the running game. It is a scheme that isn't too, too complicated. So, you know, Virginia Tech's defense, I think, will be ready up front and will at least slow down Tucker and Schrader enough to keep Tech in the football game. My concern is on the offensive side of the football where no matter what statistic you look at, Virginia Tech's offense is in the worst state it's been in under Justin Fuente. No doubt about it, right? And I'm just not sure what the fix is week over week. Like, I'm not... I'm not sure there's like one easy thing to point to and just like flip a switch and say, yep, the offense is all of a sudden just going to be better this week. Um, I I thought that tech played okay early in the year, right? We, We saw in the Carolina game, tech's offense did just enough. They played very well in the first half and then didn't really do too much in the second half, but did just enough to win middle Tennessee state. It took really until the second half for the offense to start clicking West Virginia was what it was. Richmond, not very good on offense. Uh, the Notre Dame game after bye week was okay offensively, but not great. And then obviously a debacle against Pittsburgh. I just, we talked about consistency with the defense. I would like to just see any sort of semblance of offense. Like there was a while there in the second half last week. I wasn't sure Virginia Tech was going to get over 200 yards of offense. Like it took until late in the fourth quarter for, for Tech to go over the 200 yard mark. I mean, you can't have that happen really against anybody in the ACC, no matter how bad they've played to date. And, you know, even if you were looking at this on paper, Pat, like you mentioned, you know, early in the year saying, you know what, this was a game that, I, you know, we thought Virginia Tech would win and didn't really think much about. Anytime you're putting up just around 200 yards of offense <laughs> and that's your worst offensive performance in six years, and that's a week before you play Syracuse, man, you look at this and you say, you know what, if Tech does that again, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So, the ACC is down. There are a lot of teams that, that are up and down week to week in the conference. But, I mean, Virginia Tech can't expect to have that offensive performance that they put on the field last week beat anybody in conference play, no matter how good or bad they've been playing coming in. Yeah. Um, I think 
something even to add here is a key to the game. I might sound like a broken record, but there needs to be a defensive or special teams touchdown for Virginia Tech in this game or a defensive or special teams play that puts us in position to score points because just based on what we saw last week, you know, look at the drive summary on offense. We'll give you little hope to think that we can score more points than the Syracuse Orange on Saturday. Um, But you were mentioning kind of something along the lines of something I was thinking about from reading an article earlier. I believe it was Mike Nesiolik who put it out about Dax Hollifield kind of talking about the vibe and the energy in the locker room and talking about 2019, how there was a change in quarterback uh, personnel. You know, we turned from Ryan Willis to Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker started the Miami game. We go, we want, we win the next seven of eight games and the energy across the entire team is just different and it's positive and we're winning football games. And it was because of that decision to play Hendon Hooker because Hendon Hooker was winning us games in 2019. Now Dax has, Dax is talking about a similar feeling in the locker room right now. Uh, He's saying that the defense is going to have to kind of carry that weight. I don't know how much the defense can really do because the defense can only put so many points on the board. Yeah. But like we had, we had a, we had a concrete change in 2019 in quarterbacks, you know, and I don't know if, you know, Taj Bullock isn't walking out the door and, and starting a quarterback on Saturday. Like, I don't think that's, that's close to reality at this point, like could right. we later in the year, potentially, is there a change that can be made to save this season? I guess is the question mark. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, the, the answer is no at quarterback, right? I think that, I think the answer is no. Now I will say that if I'm Justin Fuente and the staff, I'm juggling, you know, if I think, and, and I, First of all, I don't think that they believe that Bullock's ready. He was just elevated from practice squad. Like he's not realistically going to get reps. But even if they thought that Bullock was ready, they have to juggle. Okay, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right? Like, are we going to put Bullock in now with six games remaining and burn his red shirt to? our detriment maybe a few years from now where we're not going to have, you know, fifth year senior Taj Bullock potentially. Right. If, if you think that he's truly the quarterback of the future. Now we know that Tech's recruiting Alex Orgy and he's, he's been tearing up Texas and he's been very good, but like, if you think that Bullock is a quarterback of the future, like, do you play him? Right. And that's kind of what you're juggling. If you thought he was ready now, they don't think he's ready and they certainly don't have any sort of confidence in Knox Kadem. I mean, we heard early in the year and, you know, really all throughout fall camp. Yeah. You know, we like Knox. Knox is our number two quarterback. But then when we saw Burmeister go out in the Notre Dame game, who came in, right? It, it wasn't Knox Kadem. It was an extended sample size of Connor Blumrick. You know, Blumrick was in for more than his usual, like short yardage or goal line package. So I, I just don't think that I don't think they really have any confidence in Knox to be the starter right now or to come in and provide that spark. Um, 
you know, I, I think we would have seen him in that ND game when, when Burmeister was pretty hurt with that dead arm, if that was actually the case. And it's real easy. I will say this too, though, like in regards to like coach speak and, and fall camp and stuff like that. Like, it's easy to say you have a lot of confidence in a guy when you know he's probably like your third option at quarterback and everybody in front of them selfie. Like, the real test is when your starter gets hurt and your backup is now banged up. And now you got to actually put in the guy who you've been talking about how you trust, which, which they didn't do. So I don't think there is an easy fix at quarterback, Pat, to answer your question. That's the long and short of it. <laughs> well, to layer on one more question for you, Mike, I mentioned this on our last podcast when we talked about the Pittsburgh game, kind of a fun question. You know, it's, it's my own letter from the lunch pail before we get into letters from the lunch pail. Can we see Tavion Robinson run the triple option or run some type of option? He did it in high school. He did it at Cox high school. He he's, he's the most talented guy on the field when he has the ball in his hands. Is this, I am. Is this a, is this a far-fetched question? I am all for putting the ball in the hands of Trey Turner, Tavion Robinson, and Raheem Blackshear as much as possible. One of the cardinal sins of the game last Saturday against Pittsburgh is Raheem Blackshear only had eight touches. That is sickening. Like he should be touching the ball way more than that, right? We should be getting the ball in his hands way more than that. Um, Tavion's been really, really good. I've been impressed with the step that he, he's been one of the few bright spots of the offense, you know, with everything kind of going up in flames. Tavion has been slowly getting better, right? Week over week over week. He's been really good. Um, and he's been the one sign of like true improvement in that receiver room. I think Trey Turner is, is a good receiver for what he is, right? And he has been very consistent year over year. But we've kind of been waiting for like thousand yard receiver in a season, Trey Turner. Now some of that's quarterback and stuff that's out of his control, but some of it is just, he, it feels like when you watch him play, he's kind of the same receiver that he's been like year over year. But with Tavion, the difference is like with Tavion, he's earlier in his career, but you can start to see the improvement, like the tangible improvement. And I think this past off season was really big for him. So I'm excited to see kind of what he is, moving forward over the last couple of years of his tech career, because he's got potential to really be like that receiver. The tech's been missing since Ford and, and cam. And I know he's a different type receiver, you know, in the slot and everything, but he's got the potential there. He keeps getting better. Sweet feet. So we're going to do the letters from the lunch pail now, and we're going to kick it off with Grant Watson coming in with the over unders. Thank you, Grant. We love the consistency here on the over under predictions so we'll recap last week over unders from grant virginia tech rushing yards versus pitt 129 and a half that was under kenny pickett passing yards 289.5 also under i think we all took the over pit false starts one and a half i want to say it was only one false start mike i don't know if you caught more than I one think, and a half I think starts. maybe just one. They didn't have a lot of penalties in general, I don't think. Yeah, so we'll, we'll take the under in all three of those. Three, yep. units, three units for Grant Watson. Now, uh, some other over-unders for the Syracuse game. Sean Tucker rushing yards, 140. Over-under. I, I think I think I'm going to go under 
Like, I think Virginia Tech's defense, he is literally the only guy to prepare for, right? I mean, you could say, yeah, we got to prepare for Garrett Schrader. Fine. He's not really a true threat to throw. I mean, his three best passing games have been the last three games, and he's been, like, between 135 and 140 yards. He's not really a threat to push the ball down the field. This is this is a running attack through and through. I'm going to say under, because I think Virginia Tech's defense will be prepared for literally the only thing that Syracuse does well. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to take the under here. Uh, Mr. Tucker, Sean Tucker is averaging 135 rushing yards per game. Just like Mike said, this is the only guy that we're really prepping for. And we all know about him now. You know, everyone sees him on Twitter. We know we got to prep for Sean Tucker. But, uh, but also he probably, uh, you know, just looking at the defenses that he has played against, Virginia Tech is probably on the better end as far as uh, defending the run. Virginia Tech points scored 20 and a half over or under. We're going to go under. I got to, I got to, I got to hedge here a little bit, Pat. I'll believe it when I see it with this offense. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to say they're going to score more than three touchdowns or, or three touchdowns when they just haven't been, I don't want to say haven't been doing it because they have been. I mean, they've, they've done it pretty recently. They put up, you know, 29 against ND, but this is just, man, hard to have any confidence after that pick game. I'm also going to take the under. I think that we're going to score 20 points. Uh, so it's going to be close. My prediction, Virginia tech, total yards, 300 Mike over under, 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 I mean, they haven't eclipsed the 400 yard mark yet this season. And they've been right around 300 yards per game. I think it'll be a little bit better than last week, but Syracuse has a pretty good unit on that side of the ball. I'm also going to go under, uh, who knows? Maybe it could be a big running play that can can push the over here. We have not had a big run the entire year from any of our any of our backs. Um, so I also see why the under here is more realistic uh, just from the last few weeks. Bonus question: Will Sean Tucker be pleased with his performance after the game on Twitter? <laughs> I feel like this correlates with how many rushing yards he's going to have. Maybe he'll have, so I said under 140. So maybe he'll have like 125 and a couple scores and be happy with his performance. I think that would be a fine day for him. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's a, I'm pleased with my performance, but I wish I could have done some more to help the team win. <laughs> similar, similar to what he said about Clemson. Exactly. Brian Holbrook with a couple questions here. He says, uh, didn't have a chance to send this in after Pittsburgh, but have, have we reached a point where foo taking over as offensive coordinator and demoting corn emoji to QB's coach is the only way he saves his job. I'm thinking I, I copied and pasted it from Twitter. I'm thinking that box was supposed to be a corn emoji. Um, or has that ship sailed as y'all seemed to imply on the last episode? Is this a must win for food to coach Virginia tech in 2022 loaded question there loaded question. Mike, take it away. Okay. So, I mean, I think, I think Cornelson should be demoted and should not be calling the place. 
Um, but I have thought that for a number of weeks. Like if you were to put like the list of issues that Virginia Tech has, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, Pat, after that Pittsburgh game. But I will, what I will say is if you were to put like a list of issues that Virginia Tech has, right, as a team this year, the play calling itself is probably like fourth or fifth on the list, right? There, there are a couple things I think that, and it's all, it's all a problem. So let me be clear, like it's all an issue and, and the play calling has been suspect at times, but like, I think the general lack of execution offensively, which does fall on Cornelson ultimately at the end of the day anyway, has been a bigger issue than the play calls themselves. Um, so do I think Fuente taking over as the play caller and demoting corn would be the right move? Yeah, I do. Do I think it would make that big of a difference this year? No, not necessarily. But I think what you would be able to do there is sell hope to the fan base a little bit to say, you know what, we're, we're willing to make changes as a coaching staff. Um, as far as like whether or not that ship has sailed with Cornelson being demoted, I mean, I think the answer is yes, because I don't think Fuente is going to do it, right? And I think that kind of that that pride and that willingness to stick by his guy, you know, being loyal to a fault could end up costing costing Fuente his job. And then as far as is this a must win for Fuente to coach in 2022? Yes. I think every game from here on out is a must win, just considering how poorly Tech performed against Pittsburgh on Saturday. I mean, I think you got to maybe not necessarily win the next six, but I think you got to go at least four and two or maybe five and one. The number I had in my head before the year was eight and four. He'd probably be okay. So that means that tech would have to go five and one down the stretch. Um, I, I don't know if seven and five will do it. I mean, I, th- that means going four and two down the stretch. I think that Every game from here on out is a must win. And when you look at the schedule, Pat, like these are winnable games. They're also very losable, but they're winnable games. Like show me a game you look at right now from between now and the end of the year and be like, yeah, Tech absolutely cannot win that football game. It's, it's hard to pick one. Yeah, so it's kind of like what Dak said on Twitter. He said, not on Twitter, on the article. He said, we're three and three after our first six games, but we got through the hard part of our schedule. And this, you know, looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year, we had West Virginia, we had Carolina, we had Pittsburgh, we had Notre Dame in our first six games. And, you know, everyone wanted to go four and two. Like, realistically, like, if you looked at that and you said four and two, if we could escape that four and two, we'd be happy. Obviously, we know how those two games went, and then we know how the abomination went on Saturday. But it's funny how our schedule lines up because, you know, four out of our last five are on the road. But these teams are teams that we should be able to hang with more than some of the earlier games that we played. So it is a total, total must win game here. The fact that it's Syracuse, the fact that we all looked at the schedule and said, this is a win should also speak volumes here. Um, This is a beatable football team. They've lost the last three. Um, So yes, this is a must win game for our coaching staff. Brian asks again, uh, what are the thoughts on, what are your thoughts on the offensive players liking Foo, but having, understandably, lost confidence in so as to just be going through the motions, as noted by Chris and his sources on the TSL pod Billy had referenced? I thought Chris made a compelling point about Foo and Jayham being on practice field and whatever coaches scout D on the other. 
Curious as to Billy's thoughts as a recent player on how that may create a divide amongst the players, almost like a JV slash varsity practice. I think we should punt this to Billy and see if he could do a, uh, do a quick Twitter video or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. The end of the week. Cause I'd be interested yeah. to hear about those thoughts. He's at Fenway park right now. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't speak to that. I mean, I, I will say like, as far as the offense and the defense, you know, going up against scout offenses and scout defenses on other fields, like that's, that's standard operating procedure at a lot of college football programs. So I don't think that in of itself kind of creates a divide, but if you're referring to the players liking Fuente and not liking Cornelson, that creating a divide, I'll, I'll have Billy speak to that. I, I think I, I have an idea of how that would go over in the locker room. If one side of the ball was handling their side of the bargain, the other wasn't, but I, I can't speak to that. Diablo fan account since BRM played in this offense, I would be curious to know what he thinks about the utilization of tight ends in the passing game. It seems like we rarely use them as a safety valve running backs too, for that matter. And unless they are the primary read, they do nothing but block even with four defensive linemen. This is a great question. That is a great question. Because even if James Mitchell was still healthy and still on the field, he would probably be getting, you know, between two and three targets a game, right? Like that's what we saw over the last few years. We have this unbelievable weapon in James Mitchell, the best tight end in the conference. And, you know, he, he wasn't lighting up the stat sheet or lighting up um, defenses like we wanted him to. Right. You know? No, that is, that is a good question. And, like, I, I don't necessarily know the answer, but I will say what's been interesting to me is, like, Virginia Tech's gone almost entirely away from using the H-back. Like, remember Dalton Keene would always line up as H-back? Like, mm-hmm. I don't see many formations now where Virginia Tech uses or utilizes an H-back. Maybe that's because they don't have as much confidence in, in Gallo and Deulis without Mitchell being on the field to just kind of have the H-back role. But, you know, even when Mitchell was healthy, I, I don't think we ran much of that, um, you know, the first couple of games of the year. Yeah. Um, maybe Billy can do a little segment on Twitter for that one too. Uh, Diablo Sherry animated Hokies says who is going to be the quarterback. Will the Hokies be bowl eligible this season? Um, that might be in hashtag unanswerable questions right now. Who is going to be quarterback? I'm thinking it's going to be Braxton Burmeister on Saturday due to just lack of anyone else who the staff feels comfortable uh, putting out there. Will we be bowl eligible this year, Mike? What are, you, what are we thinking? I, I think yes. I think Tech will be bowl eligible. I think they'll get to six wins. Although <laughs> my score prediction that we'll get into in a moment probably doesn't necessarily reflect that. I think in order for Virginia Tech to get to six wins, they probably need to win this game. Um, so maybe one answer I have contradicts the one I'm about to give here shortly, Pat. But um, I do think Virginia Tech will scratch and claw, find a way to get to six. Uh, you know, that I don't know what that does for the coaching staff. I'll tell you what, I mean, missing a bowl game is, is definitely a fireable offense. Um, having your third losing season in four years, definitely a fireable offense. So, I mean, they got to win. They got to win. That goes without saying, though. Yeah, let's win some football games. We got six games left. Really, like, if you want to break it down you could say let's split the games at home let's go one and one at home let's go two and two on the road get a bowl game and uh, see what happens but we said we're going to learn a lot about the team 
against Pittsburgh. We're going to learn a lot about the team against Syracuse here in a few days. So we're going to jump into score predictions that make us smile sometimes by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. Shout out to our guy, Dr. John Cran. Shout out to Caitlin, Dr. Caitlin Cran. Shout out to Cornell Cran uh, on the team here uh, with IMG, Learfield, Lays and Wes and Evan and all the good people over there. Mike, score predictions for Saturday. I'll kick it off here. I see a low scoring game. Virginia Tech is favored by three. I don't know if you you saw any recent lines. I know we opened at three. Is it still at three? Yeah, it's still, as far as I know, that's still at three. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to pick the Syracuse Orange this week, uh, 20 to 17. Low scoring. Syracuse runs the ball really well, and we scratch and claw, but just can't get over the hump here. Um, if we want to win this game, we have to score first. That's another thing that we probably should have talked about in, in, uh, in keys to the game. But just by the way of our offense, I do not see us scoring more than 20 points like in our over-unders with Grant. I have 2017 Syracuse. We're going with 23-14 Syracuse. Uh, reason why is because Syracuse has a established identity. You know, like I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, they have found an identity on offense. Virginia Tech, halfway through the year, still does not have one. Coming off of the worst offensive performance in the Fuente era, I do think that Virginia Tech will play a bit better offensively this coming Saturday. But I don't necessarily believe that means they're going to score a bunch of points, right? Um, Red zone scoring has been an issue. Short yardage has been an issue. Uh, so, you know, I think Virginia Tech and, and the yardage department will kind of get back to doing what, what they've been doing, you know, right around 300 yards a game. I took the under, but right around 300 yards, I think it is probably pretty realistic. Um, and I think Virginia Tech's, you know, from a yardage standpoint, gets themselves back and in, in, into uh, the high end of, of poor to the low end of mediocre in that department. And then I don't know that necessarily means they're going to score a bunch of points on the field. So yeah, give me, give me 23 to 14 Syracuse. Hope I'm wrong, but that's, that's the way I see it. Me too. Me too. All right, Mike. So we are, uh, we're going to take everyone home here with Sharky's shout outs and shout out to Sharky's for the amazing hospitality over the last uh, few weeks. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, Mike, any, any shout outs or closing thoughts? Shout out Grayson. He's not on this podcast because it is his birthday. Happy birthday, Grayson. Uh, Shout out to you, Pat, for having me on. Appreciate it. Shout out to Billy, except I'm kind of mad at him. I am a Red Sox fan through and through. Billy, as everybody knows, is kind of a Red Sox fan and went to Fenway the last two nights and the Sox found a way to lose in impressive fashion. The last two nights. And as we record this, they are now down three to two in the ALCS. I'm not too happy about it, but shout out to Bill anyway for, for going to Fenway. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Fenway was looking good last night. We it was. We, yeah. We FaceTimed. He got in the stadium probably a little over an hour early. And I've never seen the man so excited to be in a place. I mean, other than Lane Stadium, obviously, but October baseball is pretty cool, especially in a place like Fenway Park. Um but yeah, whoever posted the the Homer Simpson meme of Homer escaping into the bush with the Mets, <laughs> Homer backing into the bush 
with the Mets shirt on. And then all of a sudden he comes back out of the bush with the Red Sox shirt on. That was one of the <laughs> funniest things I've, I've seen on the internet. Bill's American league team, of course. Yeah. Like we can't do that. Um, still love you, Bill. Closing thoughts uh, on my end here. Going to the game on Saturday. Going to be a lot of fun. 1230 kick. Uh, excited to see what we can do. If anything changes, really, I mean, that's one of the things that the fan base really wants to see is just, is anything going to make, you know, be a change for the better. Going to tailgate, going to have fun, going to celebrate the uh, the engagement of John Yetzi and Courtney Adams. It's going to be a good time. Excited to see them. And uh, yeah, happy birthday, Grayson. Love you, man. 26. Health insurance time. Yeah, health insurance. That's uh that's a wake up call for you. Little health yeah. insurance action there. But uh I think that's it, man. Those are my shout outs. Not too many shout outs. I'm a little apathetic right now, I will say. You know, Pat might be in a little grumpy mood. Not grumpy, but you know, just we're in a tough spot right now. No one likes tough. being three three in October. No one likes having fun games in September and then you get to mid-October and it's not fun anymore. So Let's win this Saturday so the next game uh, against Georgia Tech can be a fun one. Get some good vibes going. We need good vibes. Good vibes in Lane Stadium on Saturday. We'll see you guys there. Uh, Come visit us. We'll be tailgating all over the place. Go Hokies. windows drink till we can't stand but i saw you dance like you want to in my head and all that she said is oh i know just what you're thinking Take a hit, it started